As you know a lot already, uh, uh, as, as we know from talking with you, uh, but we do try to bring new information that we hope is useful, if not immediately, at least eventually in your, uh, in your practice. The, the goal is to improve the care of our, of our patients. Uh, you've heard uh, references during the program already to some exciting new drugs, uh, new approaches that are being developed. And uh, we've asked a, a, a physician who's spoken for us uh, on many occasions uh, uh, from uh, Mass General and Harvard Medical School, Raj uh, Gandhi, uh, to take us through this, uh, this new information. I, I'd also add that uh, Raj's sister is uh, a good friend of mine, a colleague at UCSF, uh, known for her work with analysis of hair as a, as a marker of adherence uh, to, to HIV medication. So it's a strong family tradition. Raj, welcome back. What's that? Non-adherent, yeah. I've, I've told Monica that some, some of us are really hair challenged and can't contribute to that research, but she acknowledges that I don't have enough. Go ahead, Raj. Uh, thank you for that nice introduction. Um, I'm going to talk to Monica tonight, so I'll convey everyone's um, jokes to her. <laughs> and uh, thank you all for being here. So I'm going to talk in the next um, 30 minutes or so, and then we'll leave time for questions on investigational approaches to ART. So not just investigational, investigational drugs, but investigational approaches. Uh, these are my um, disclosures. And here are my uh, two learning objectives. So what I'd like to do is put the talk in the context of a couple of questions. So we're going to talk about, are there any new options for initial therapy for HIV? We'll talk about, are two antiretroviral drugs as good as three, or maybe even better? We'll talk about updates on two-drug therapy. We'll talk about, what are the options in someone who has difficulty taking daily drugs? I think probably all of us have patients who find this challenging, so we'll talk about long-acting agents in development. We'll say a word about new medicines for treating someone who has multi-drug resistant HIV. It's not a common problem, but when it exists, it's a very challenging problem, and we'll talk about new drugs in, in that domain. And then we'll just do a couple of slides on uh, what's on the horizon. So I'm going to ask you to get involved and, um, and tell me what you would do in this situation. So this is a 29-year-old man I saw last year. He's got a positive HIV antigen antibody test and a confirmatory test, but um, it comes over from a community um, health center to our HIV clinic with, the, with this data, but the HIV RNA is pending, the genotype is pending, CD4 count, BUN, creatinine, other labs are pending, but you decide based on some of the considerations we talked about this morning and things that Melanie Thompson will talk about after me, you decide to initiate same-day ART. So which regimen would you use in this setting? Would you use efavirenz, FTC, TDF? Would you use ropivirine, FTC, TAF, albatagrocobi, FTC, TAF, Daldetegavir, Abacavir, 3TC, Daldetegavir, FTC, TAF, or um, the newly approved Bictegavir, FTC, TAF. Go ahead and vote. I will not be able to name most of these. Run away from the stench and the trenches. So you're welcome to call them out. Okay. Let's, let's, see, uh, let's see what people think. Okay, so the last two um, got the most votes, and I would agree. I think those are kind of the choices I would also put on the table here. In fact, I highlighted those in red. 
I wouldn't use the ones, and I think you wouldn't either, that were listed before. I wouldn't use efavirenz in part because there is um, some risk of transmitted drug resistance in the United States. It's somewhere between 10 to 15 percent and uh, to NNRTIs, and so that would be um, dip, um, a less good regimen if, if you had that, and in fact, maybe an ineffective regimen. Ropivirin you're not going to use for a similar reason, but also you don't know his viral load, and if the viral load is over 100,000 or the CD4 is less than 200, we know that this is not ideal. Albatagavir could be FTC-TAF probably would work fine. It just does have a lower genetic barrier uh, and lower barrier, pharmacologic barrier to resistance than does dalgutegavir, and so I think I would choose one of the last two. A back of our 3TC dolgutegavir, um, you do need an HLA B57 first, as we talked about this morning, and even though some institutions you can get it quickly, I know of no institution where you can get it the same day, so. Okay, so this gives me a reason to talk about new drugs for initial therapy, and we're gonna start with Bictegavir, which is now approved. It's approved recently enough that I thought it's worth um, talking about. And then I'll talk about a drug that is completely investigational, but is moving forward, and you may see um, information on uh, this calendar year, and it's a drug called Duravirine, which is an NNRTI. So first, Bictegavir. Bictegavir is an unboosted, so a pharmacologically unboosted integrose inhibitor. It does have a high barrier to resistance and a low potential for drug-drug uh, interactions. Um, there have been phase three clinical trials competing Bictegavir head-to-head uh, with TAF, FTC-TAF against Dalgutegavir, Abacavir through TC and also comparing it head-to-head to, -head to dolgutegavir plus FTC-TAF. Essentially, um, it was not better uh, than those regimens, but it was non-inferior in terms of virologic efficacy. It worked as well as those two other um, uh, commonly used medicines. As compared to dolgutegavir, abacavir 3TC, there were similar changes in protein area, bone mineral density, and lipids, which really apply, in this instance, implies that the TAF and abacavir have relatively similar effects on the kidney and the bone markers. Uh, Tim Wilkins showed us the, the data on the randomized switch study that was presented at CROI this year. Um, he showed us the switch from Abacavir 3TC Dalgutegavir to TAF FTC Bictegavir. Eric Dar, this last um, uh, ID week, last November, October, presented a similar switch trial going from a boosted PI regimen to Bictegavir FTC TAF and also uh, looked fine. Here are the treatment naive data. Uh, just to illustrate on your um, left, is the head-to-head -head of um, Bictegavir FTC-TAF versus the Abacavir 3TC Dalgutegavir. Really no difference uh, between those two regimens. And on your right is the same comparison, this time though, to Dalgutegavir uh, FTC-TAF. And again, Bictegavir virologically uh, looks just as good. So what are its indications? It's indicated for initial treatment of adults with HIV. Um, when it was approved in February, it did not get an indication for adolescents. Um, there are more data coming. There were some data at CROI on adolescents, but right now approved for um, adults. Um, it is also approved as a replacement for a person who is virologically suppressed already and doesn't have a, a treatment history, uh, a history of treatment failure or a history of resistance to its components. And that's an important caveat, is if you have a person who's had resistance or has failed a prior, uh, particularly integrase inhibitor-based regimen, uh, this is not, we don't have enough clinical data with this to, to, um, to use it yet. Its dosing is one pill once a day with or without food, uh, similar to dolutegavir, and it's not estimated, it's not recommended if the creatinine clearance is below 30. Drug resistance in vitro, like dolutegavir, it is active against isolates that are resistant to first-generation integrase inhibitors. But its efficacy, as I mentioned before, in people with prior integration failure or resistance is not yet known clinically. 
Drug-drug interactions, Tim showed us that you cannot uh, overcome the rifampin um, interaction with Bactegavir, so this is contraindicated, and I would extend that, and the label extends it to other rifamycins, like rifapentine. What about metformin? We know that dogitegavir doubles uh, metformin levels. With Bictegavir, it goes up by about 39%, the area under the curve. In a clinical study that was presented at ID Week, there was no effect on glucose. What the label says is assess the benefit and risk if you've got someone on metformin. I have someone who is on um, 850, uh, uh, three times a day of metformin, which is you know a high dose of metformin. Uh, there are reasons I wanted to use Bictegavir based on prior history. So the endocrinologist is reducing the metformin dose, and then we're going to use Bictegavir, but we're going to watch it carefully. Like all integrase inhibitors, Bictegavir is chelated by cations, so you have to uh, dose it away from your, your polyvalent cations. Uh, pregnancy, it's not recommended because of insufficient data. Uh, side effects, relatively few, um, uh, diarrhea, nausea, and headache. And we heard about the 0.1 milligram per deciliter increase with dogutegavir from Mike Sag. Um, same is true for, for Bictegavir. Okay, so now for something new. Um, Deraverine is an investigational NNRTI. It's a, a, a second generation or an NNRTI that works against virus that's resistant to first generation NNRTI. So if your vi patient's virus is resistant with a K103N or a Y181C, for example, deraverine should still be effective. It's dosed once daily without regard to food. It also has a low um, potential for drug-drug interactions. In a study that was published, I think, day before yesterday in uh, Lancet HIV, um, a study called Drive Forward, all of these um, studies have the name Drive in them, Drive Forward compared Deraverine head-to-head to boosted Darunavir. And boosted Darunavir and Deraverine, if you um, see those lines, there's really no daylight between those lines. The virologic suppression rate is, is the same for Deraverine and, boost, and boosted Darunavir. It is better than boosted Darunavir when it comes to lipids. Um, at the IAS meeting this past summer, another one of these DRIVE studies was presented. This is DRIVE AHEAD. This is Deraverine head-to-head against efavirenz in treatment-naive people. Here the comparison is Deraverine 3TC TDF, remember the TDF, versus efavirenz FTC TDF. And these are the virologic results, essentially 80 to 90 percent virologic suppression um, and no difference, again, between efavirenz and um, Deraverine. When people failed deraverine, virologic resistance or um, virologic fail failures were uncommon, and when they failed, resistance was uncommon. About one and a half percent had NNRTI resistance, and about one and a half percent had nuke resistance. So that um, also showed that when compared to efavirenz, deraverine was better than efavirenz in terms of a lower incidence of neuropsychiatric effects, and also had more favorable changes in lipids. Now, what's missing here is um, deraverine has not been compared head-to-head -head in a big trial against integrase inhibitors, and so that's going to be one of the considerations as we think about where to put deraverine. Deraverine was um, a, a, a new drug application for deraverine was put forward to the FDA this January in two different ways, a deraverine TDF3TC kind of co-formulated drug as well as deraverine alone, and we think that the FDA is going to give a um, uh, assessment or a decision about this by October of this calendar year. So s stay tuned for deraverine. I think the, the where it's going to end up in guidelines uh, remains to be determined if, it's, if it is approved. Okay, so that's what's new uh, for initial therapy. Now let's turn to a second question, which is what are your options or where are we with two-drug therapy? 
And the case I wanted to use to illustrate this is a 50-year-old man. He's got HIV, he's got diabetes, hypertension, he's got chronic renal insufficiency, and his creatinine clearance is 25. So um, keep that in mind. His uh, HIV RNA is 30,000, his CD4 count is 450. He is B5701 positive. So based on his creatinine clearance, less than 30, and based on the B57, you want to avoid TAF, TDF, and abacavir. So here are your options, and there's not a definitive answer here, so I want to see what people would use in this setting. Would you use, in someone uh, that you can't use the standard nukes, would you use darunavir, cobacistat plus FTC? Would you use darunavir, ritonavir plus raltegavir? Darunavir, ritonavir plus dalgutegavir? Darunavir, ritonavir plus 3TC? Dalgutegavir plus 3TC or dalgutegavir plus rilpivirine? Let's see what people think. Please vote. Hello, my name is Elder Price, and I would like to share with you the most amazing book. Hello, Where's Mike Sag when my you need name him? is Elder Grant. <laughs> it's a book about book America okay. a long, long time ago. It has so many awesome parts. You simply won't believe how much okay. this book I can change your life. Probably the majority of weighed in. This is not, like I said, there's not a right answer, so this is more just to see what people think or what they would do. The suspense is... While people are waiting to see the results, I would say um, Dalgetegavir-Pivrim we're going to come back to. Um, that has not yet been studied in this scenario of initial therapy, okay? We'll show some data for maintenance therapy that supports it, so it looks like 50% of you would like it. But I would say right now, um, I personally wouldn't choose it, and I'll tell you why when, in just a minute. And it's, it's largely because we just don't know. It's, in principle, it should work. That was mentioned, I think, earlier, but we don't have the clinical trial data to say for sure. Uh, some of you voted for boosted Darunavir plus Dalgutegavir. I actually think that's a very reasonable option. We don't have a lot of data on that either, but in principle, that should work. The regimens that we have the most data on are the ones that only a small percentage voted. We have data on number two, boosted darunavir plus raltegavir, and we now have data that I'll show you on number four, boosted darunavir plus 3TC. So let's see what that is. So this is the topic of no nukes, or in some instances, few nukes. So let's see what we have for two drug therapies. So no one, I didn't put this up as an option. There is a phase three clinical trial that supports the use of boosted lopinavir plus 3TC. It's non-inferior to three drug therapy, but it's just too many pills and it's got too much toxicity to recommend it routinely. But it, is, it does work, it's just got disadvantages. So there was a European trial called NEAT001 which looked at boosted darunavir plus raltegavir, a nuke-free regimen, and that was just as good as three drug therapy but it didn't do as well as the, at, when it was stressed, okay, when it was at the extremes. When the CD4 count was less than 200, or when the viral load was greater than 100,000, this had a less, uh, was less efficacious than three-drug therapy. I presented you a case where the CD4 count was uh, in the middle, in the 400s, and the viral load wasn't very high, so th this would probably work fine for a patient, and I think the Dalgetegavir regimen that many of you like would also, we just don't have a lot of data with it. What about dalgutegavir 3TC for initial therapy? So this is what we know for initial therapy. We have single-arm studies that support its use for initial therapy. There was a small study called PADL that had people up to a viral load ceiling of 100,000, 
20 people and uh, essentially 90% of them got virologically suppressed. But they, they had that ceiling and it was a small non-comparative trial. The AIDS clinical trials group this past summer presented a result, uh, the results of a phase two single arm study, so non-comparative, same uh, regimen. This time the ceiling went up to 500,000 for the viral load and they enrolled a larger group, 120 people. Week 24, the viral load was less than 50 copies suppressed in 90% of people. And what that table shows you is it didn't matter if the viral load at baseline was over 100,000 or less than 100,000. People did well with dodutegavir plus 3TC. One thing that I want to mention, though, is that there were three virologic failures in this single-arm study. All of the three people had uh, suboptimal adherence. They had low drug levels. And in one instance, there was selection for an integrase resistance mutation and M184V. Now, remember, in dolutegravir regimens with three-drug therapy, we, we have not seen selection for resistance. So this is interesting. We'll see um, what it means. Um, it, there's two big phase three clinical trials that are fully enrolled called Gemini 1 and 2, um, was mentioned earlier today. We think that this summer at the Amsterdam meeting that there may be data on the Gemini trials, and that would really potentially be a game changer if two-drug therapy turns out to be as good as three-drug therapy. Until we know those results, I have not been using this um, routinely. Well, there is some data, and this is probably what I would have used. Uh, there is some comparative data for boosted darunavir plus 3TC. A study done by Pedro Kahn in Argentina looked at um, two-drug therapy with boosted darunavir and 3TC versus three-drug therapy, boosted darunavir plus um, TDF3TCs. So two versus three. And what you can see in this graphic, and I need to stop hitting that, is that the um, uh, viral load suppression rates were above 90% in the two-drug therapy group as well as in the three-drug therapy group. So it looked good. Um, this was 145 people, so it wasn't a gigantic trial. And I would say a larger trial is warranted. They're talking about doing a larger trial. But at least insofar as we can make judgments off a medium-sized trial, this does look promising. In Argentina, by the way, they have a fixed-dose combination of darunavir and ritonavir, um, kind of um, in the same pill. Um, obviously, we don't have that here. Um, we, we would imagine it would work with cobacistat, but we haven't, uh, no one has done that trial. Okay, once you're suppressed, though, once your patient is suppressed, you've got many options for true drug therapy, and these are uh, many options that are based on phase three clinical trials. So boosted PI plus 3TC works fine once people are virologically suppressed. Um, there is a trial of boosted darunavir plus dodgetegravir for maintenance that's called Dualis. That's ongoing. And then there are supportive data for dodgetegravir plus 3TC um, once you're suppressed, not initial now, but once you're suppressed. And then a large randomized clinical trial called Tango is just being launched. But these smaller trials are at least supportive once you're suppressed. What you can use really with confidence for someone who's virologically suppressed is dodutegavir plus ropivirin. These are the SOAR data. This was a thousand person trial, so a large trial. People were stable on a first or second line regimen, had not previously failed, so that's an important point, and viral loads were suppressed for at least a year. They got randomized either to get um, two drug therapy or to continue their three drug therapy. The, the car here is continuing antiretroviral therapy. And you can see 95% virologic suppression rates in both groups. And look at the uh, virologic non-response, you know, uh, very, very low, less, less, a percent or less. So it's non-inferior to continuing, into, uh, continuing your three-drug regimen. And there, was a there is a single-pill regimen that's available. Remember when you use it, though, that it's got the same food issues that ropivirine does. They have to take it with 400 calories of food. 
and it's got the same issues that bilpivirine has with acid-lowering therapy that impairs its absorption, and it's got the same polyvalent cations that you need to consider with all integrase inhibitors. But it is a small pill that's attractive for maintenance once someone is suppressed. Okay, so now we're going to ask the third question is what's on the horizon or what's kind of coming investigationally for long-acting ARV? So this is a patient of mine who's got um, achalasia and dysphagia. He's got a lot of trouble swallowing pills. He is suppressed on dilutegavir plus ropivirine. And he asks me, every time he sees me, what are the options for long-acting drugs so he doesn't have to take a daily pill? So, um, are, um, so are there any long-acting options that you can use now? So this is a quick vote, so go ahead and start voting. Is it yes? There are long-acting regimens that he can use. No, not yet, or I don't know. And, th and this should be a, a pretty quick. down there. They sucked the life right out of my old man. Well, they ain't doing that to me. I'm looking at Jerry. <laughs> everyone wants to come to New York. Not yet. Yeah, that's, that's uh, correct. Uh, let's see the next slide. So I guess I can do this. So, so this is where we are with long-acting therapy. So there is a long-acting integrase inhibitor called cabotegravir and a long-acting version of ropivirine that can be given intramuscularly. So the LATTE-2 study, a very appealingly named study, took people and induced them, as you heard before. They put them on three-drug therapy orally, actually for um, 20 weeks, and then they randomized people to either get long-acting cab, cabotegravir plus ropivirine every four weeks or every eight weeks. Those are the two uh, top bars. Or to continue their oral therapy. And here are the results at week 96. What you can see is that the oral therapy was 84% virologic suppression. The every four-week uh, cab ropivirine was 87%, uh, and the every eight-week was a little over 90%. So, um, and virologic failure was uncommon. Injection site reactions were common, uh, but they tended to be mild to moderate, and they tended to be relatively transient. There was high participant satisfaction. Now, of course, all these people went into a trial where they knew they could be getting it, but there was high participant satisfaction. So where we are with these is there are two ongoing phase three clinical trials. One is called FLARE and one is called ATLAS that are looking at every four-week dosing of this regimen. And we think results are going to come out this calendar year. And then there's a second trial called ATLAS-2M or a third trial called ATLAS-2M. I remember it as two months. That's looking at every eight-week dosing six times a year. And those results are expected next year. Melanie Thompson drew my attention to the fact that this is also available in a uh, limited expanded access program. That's the URL. It's on clinicaltrials.gov, mostly for patients who are having trouble with malabsorption of, of oral therapy. A drug that's further back that we heard a little bit about, but I'll spell out a bit more, is a nucleoside RT translocation inhibitor, so another acronym to get used to. It's called, I, I call it EFDA. It's got a long half-life. And at the Paris meetings this last summer, they looked at a single dose of this medicine at 0.5 milligrams, so a small dose. And this line on the blue is vial load suppression out to more than seven days with a single dose. At the CRAW meeting this year, they did a healthy volunteer study. And based on levels, that's what that graphic is, they anticipate that you could suppress the virus with as little as 0.25 milligrams of this uh, EFDA. Remember, ropivirine is 25 milligrams, so this is 100-fold less in terms of a dose than ropivirine. There is a phase 2B trial for initial therapy where this is being given 
daily, not intermittently, but daily with Deravarine and 3TC. That's a uh, trial called Drive to Simplify, and that's been started. And we already heard about its prospects for PrEP and its potential even for an injectable uh, therapy. Okay, so the last um, case scenario before we, we uh, wrap up with what's really further on the horizon, but this is a, a case of a person, you don't have to, don't worry, you don't have to interpret this genotype. <laughs> I'm just asking uh, a person who's resistant to uh, NNRTIs, nukes, and PIs, and is sensitive to an integrase inhibitor, which of these classes of drugs is furthest along in treatment? So this is just what's on the horizon in terms of, for your patient who's multi-drug resistant, is it the entry or attachment inhibitors, the maturation inhibitors, the capsid inhibitors, or broadly neutralizing antibodies? Let's, let's see what people think. Come with me to the Emerald City. One short day in the Emerald City. Okay, this one I do. Oh, I've always wanted to see the Emerald City. One short day in the Emerald City. Okay, so um, uh, more of a mix here, but the there are a number of these are in trials, but the ones I would say of these choices that are furthest along are the entry inhibitors. So let's let's talk about entry inhibitors. So there's two of them. One was investigational until about two weeks ago. One's called the one called Ibilizumab. As I learned this morning um, from Peter, that means it's a humanized antibody because it's got the Zumab in it. And that Fostemsevir is, is further behind, but has been through phase three trials. So this is how, just as a reminder, when the virus um, enters a cell, it binds CD4. It then um, the virus binds the co-receptor. That's where Maraviroc or CCR5 inhibitors work. And then the virus and the cell fuse, and that last step is where infuvertide works. This is where these attachment inhibitors work. They work at the very beginning of this process, and so that's where Fistemsevir works, and that's where Ibilizumab works. Ibilizumab is a, mon a monoclonal antibody. It has to be given intravenously. It binds to CD4 cells on the host. So unlike the broadly neutralizing antibodies that we'll finish up with in a minute, this is binding the host, not the virus. By binding CD4 cells, it then blocks HIV entry, so that's why it's called a post-attachment inhibitor. It's active against CCR5 and CCR4 tropic virus. There's no cross-resistance with other ARVs. We learned that at CRO this year. And the way you give it is you give a loading dose of 2,000 milligrams, and then you give every two weeks 800 milligrams as a maintenance dose. The first dose goes in over 30 minutes at least, um, and then you have to watch the person according to the label for about an hour, and then the subsequent doses go in over about 15 minutes. So it's not an IV push, but it's, it's also not a long infusion. This drug was approved really on a 40, based on a 40-person, a very small um, uh, targeted clinical trial looking at heavily treatment um, uh, experienced patients like the patient I presented you with three class ARV resistance, but they did have to have at least one active other agent. So that's one important point. The primary endpoint for this trial was a viral load suppression of greater than half a log at, um, uh, after the infusion, and 83% of people's viral load went down after the loading dose. After the loading dose, then they got oral optimized background regimens, and at week 24, half of people were virologically suppressed on their ibilizumab plus oral therapy and that seemed to be maintained up to at least 48 weeks. So this was approved on March 6th, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. I'm told that the price for the drug itself is 118,000 um, per year just for the drug. 
But I will say this for the person who is resistant to everything else is really, in my mind, a lifesaver and a potentially a lifesaver if you can suppress, suppress people. So the other uh, attachment inhibitor that has gone through phase three trials, clinical trials is called Fostemsevir. This is a prodrug of Temsevir. It binds GP120, and then it um, prevents HIV attachment. And so the phase three clinical trial that was reported la late last year at the European meetings was called, is called BRIGHT. It had two um, cohorts. One was a cohort of, uh, that was randomized that was heavily treated, but it had at least one active, or uh, in some cases, two active drugs remaining. And then they even had a non-randomized cohort where there was no active drugs remaining. The randomized cohort got Fostemsevir or placebo for um, uh, about eight days, and the primary endpoint there was, did the Fostemsevir group had a, have a greater viral load suppression rate than the placebo group? And then, of course, the non-randomized group just got Fostemsevir. There was no placebo plus oral uh, and um, optimized background regimens. So here are the results. On your left is the viral load decay at eight, at eight days. And in the orange is placebo, and, is the, blue, and the blue is Fostemsevir. Essentially, if you got Fostemsevir, your viral load went down much greater than if you got placebo. At week 24, in the randomized cohort, about half of people, 54% of people, were virologically suppressed and suppressed at less than 40. And in the non-randomized cohort, that's the group that did not have other active drugs, a little over a third, 36%, were virologically suppressed. So based on these phase three clinical trials, they're in the process of trying to manufacture this at a high enough scale. And um, what is uh, available is that the regulatory submissions um, are currently anticipated not this year, but either next year or the year after. So that's, that's, it's in the manufacturing phase, not yet submitted for any kind of approval. Uh, some of you voted for uh, maturation inhibitors. These have been in clinical trials, but one of the trials was actually stopped about six months ago uh, because of um, development of GI toxicity. There are other maturation inhibitors further back, but the one that was furthest along um, isn't, hasn't uh, been moving forward. Okay, so in the last two minutes, I think I can do this. I only have a few more slides. <laughs> we're going to talk about broadly neutralizing antibodies and one slide on other novel agents, and then we're, then we're done. Then we'll summarize. Okay, so this is uh, BNABs. You're, you're hearing a lot about BNABs. These are antibodies against the virus. It's against the virus envelope. And they uh, kind of bind different parts of the virus envelope, and they're in many different classes. The way these have been studied to date is you take a BNAB, you give it to someone, and then you stop uh, on antiretroviral therapy, and then you stop their antiretroviral therapy. And in several trials, many of these have been done in New York City. In fact, this trial was done in New York City. If you give a BNAB, you delay the time to virus rebound once you stop antiretroviral therapy. That's what that red line is is the people who got a couple of doses of the BNAB had slower rebound than the people who didn't get any kind of intervention. A similar result has been seen with a different BNAB called VRCO1, but what's really going on now is combination BNABs, and the folks um, uptown are doing these kind of trials where they're uh, doing combination BNABs, and maybe some of your patients are, are participating. Now, why, why would people pursue this for treatment? It's being uh, pursued for prevention. You can engineer these antibodies, at least in theory, to last for months, if not even longer, six months or even longer. And in theory, you could deliver, uh, come up with a system where this BNAB is delivered by, say, a, a vector. So if this works to suppress um, HIV, this might be an option for long-acting antiretroviral therapy, but this time with antibodies. And there's also efforts to see if it might have an effect on reservoirs. 
Okay, this is my last slide, and then we'll summarize. So these are other investigational drugs that are in the pipeline. There's an entry inhibitor called Cominectin that's being developed. There's a, uh, other um, nukes are being developed. Um, GS9131 is a nuke. I told you about two antibodies that um, bind to CD4. Uh, I didn't tell you about two. I, I told you about ibilizumab. There's one called Pro140. There's time. I have a slide on that as an extra slide. I didn't put it in the main set. And then a, um, a drug called UB421. And then there's protease inhibitors, capsid inhibitors some of you voted for. Those are really interesting drugs, uh, but they are further behind in clinical trials. But they work in a completely new way. And then there's maturation inhibitors. So here's my summary. New options for initial treatment, Bictegavir, FTC, TAF, we've talked about. Duravarin is under FT FDA review. Two-drug therapy, the ones to keep your eye on are Dragitegavir plus 3TC and boosted Darunavir plus 3TC for initial therapy. And we already have Dalgetegavir Rolpivirine for maintenance therapy for, in terms of two drugs. What are the options in someone who has really uh, a tough time taking daily drugs, the long-acting drugs to watch are Cabotegavir Rolpivirine long-acting and phase three clinical trials, and then further back is EFDA. What do you give to someone who's got multi-drug resistant HIV? Ibilizumab is approved, and Fostemzivir is, is through phase three trials. Other agents are, are being developed. And what's on the horizon, definitely keep your eye on the BNABs, and there are others to keep your eye on. And so I will stop there, and thank you for your attention. So. Any questions? Okay, then this is going to be relatively brief. Whether, um, Raj, were there any cases of anaphylaxis during clinical trials? Anaphylaxis? Anaphylaxis, I guess, during the parental administrations, I'm yeah. thinking. Would um, epinephrine be needed on hand for first dose just in case? Okay. You know, um, I'm not sure if that was related to uh, ebilizumab or uh, cabotegavir. For cabotegavir, because there's the oral lead-in, I'm not aware of any anaphylaxis cases. I think the whole idea of the oral lead-in is that you uh, make sure that they tolerate that before you give them the intramuscular, which does last for months. In fact, it, it lasts for even more than several months. Um, and you don't want to, and you can't even dialyze cabotegavir out or ropivirine out. So once you're on it, you're on it. For ibilizumab, I was looking at the label in preparation for this talk, and I did not see any mention specifically of anaphylaxis. I mean, monoclonal antibodies um, can have um, renal effects and other <coughs> effects, but these are humanized, and so far there hasn't been any kind of reaction. <coughs> One thing that sometimes people ask is, could you get, develop an antibody against the antibody, these so-called anti-drug antibodies? Uh, you may have heard of these um, PCSK9 inhibitors for cholesterol. Uh, one of those PCSK9 uh, inhibitors got, um, went down, basically, because the people who got it developed antibodies against it. The ones that are marketed, are, are, that doesn't happen. But for ibilizumab, not a lot of people have gotten it, but so far we haven't seen, um, they, the um, investigators haven't seen uh, anti-drug antibodies to any great degree. I think only 200 or so people have gotten ibilizumab so far. So, so is there any... Um has there been any studies or consideration of studies that target both the virus and the CD4 cell? We've looked at targets individually, but yeah. what about if they were given at both targets? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So is there an um, approach to study a drug that attacks the virus and the host? In some ways, we, we do that when we, you know, we don't give a lot of Moravarok, but when you're giving Moravarok, you're targeting the CCR5 host receptor plus the, the virus with your, if you're giving nukes with it. But I think, I don't know of uh, efforts to combine, for example, 
entry inhibitors. That's an interesting idea. Although I can say in that Ibilizumab study that I showed you, I didn't mention this before, the 40-person trial, that was the CD4 post-attachment inhibitor. Some of those patients also got Fostemzivir, okay, which is the other attachment inhibitor. So they were getting kind of dual uh, attachment inhibitors. And so that, that's an intriguing idea. Those are two drugs that are working against the host, not against right. the so the other question is the attractiveness of, or another question, the attractiveness of the entry inhibitors for prophylaxis. Yeah. Um, so the entry inhibitors for prophylaxis, let me just think about that question. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes we think about can you, are you acting earlier on the virus life cycle? So is that going to be a benefit? That I would be the logic, PrEP, yeah. Yeah, that would be logical. But for PrEP, I'm not, and I'm looking at... Um, at our PrEP expert here, but I, I'm not aware of um, any entry inhibitors that are being studied for PrEP. Are you, do are you, you aware of any? Do you know, Anima? Maraviroc as a CCR5, yes, thank you, yeah. Tim. Since Tim yeah. did that study, it, <laughs> so. It's not moving forward. Yeah, you, um, my understanding, but Tim uh, did that study, is that it wasn't an efficacy trial, they were just um, looking at, um, Tim, why don't, why don't you say what, what you found for? Um, So this is a question for Peter, as well as you. Can't we do something about the names of these compounds? <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a calculated effort. Who is responsible for these I mean, impossible to yeah. pronounce? It's a calculated <laughs> effort to make us use the trade names, because we can't pronounce, <laughs> we can't pronounce. <laughs> I have to tell you that was my question. <laughs> that was your question. <laughs> Sometimes I make them up. <laughs> OK. Um, so, taking point, so this is an uh, ibilizumab question, is indicated for heavily treatment experienced patients. How was heavily treatment experience defined in the study? Yeah, in that trial, they had to have been experienced with at least three classes, and the three classes were non-nukes, nukes, and protease inhibitors, and then they had to have at least three class resistance, um, so to those same three classes. Uh, but then they had to have an active drug, so either an integrase inhibitor or, as I mentioned, uh, I think 17 of those 40 people got Fostemzivir. So three class resistance, NNRTIs, nukes, and uh, PIs. So how many treatments should a patient have failed in order to be considered for embolizumab? I think it depends more on the <clears throat> resistance pattern. If you had a resistance pattern like the one I showed you where the virus was essentially resistant to all um, currently available um, nukes, non-nukes, and protease inhibitors, then I think that's the person to think about. But since it is a, a lifelong uh, in intravenous therapy, I think if you have any oral options, if you can come up with two or more drugs orally, um, then it makes sense to, to reserve ibilizumab and, and go with the oral therapy. Um, how long should we wait to determine treatment success? That's a good question. So um, traditionally, we've waited um, somewhere between 12 to 24 weeks uh, to see the viral load become undetectable. We know that with integrase inhibitors that the viral load becomes undetectable much more quickly than that, and so some people are arguing for an even earlier time point, eight or four weeks. Um, but I think personally, if I, I tell patients I expect that if they're on an integrase inhibitor, their viral load will be undetectable by certainly 12 weeks for sure. And, um, Personally, what I do is I still monitor people monthly until their viral load is undetectable, and then I space it out. So, right. so um, now that the drug is approved, 
And the cost is phenomenal, although for other similar type drugs for other diseases, this is what they cost. Yeah. Uh, any discussions that have been initiated about how patients are going to be able to afford yeah. this? And I'm going to ask, um, maybe Onyema might know also, because we've been working with embolizumab some. Yeah, that's right. You've done some of these trials at Yale. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to get other people's comments. I personally think that for, it's a small group of people that really need a drug like ibilizumab because there's, they're relatively uncommon. I think that's a small enough need that I th personally think those patients should get uh, that drug. It's the, the m many millions of people who are getting, we have many other oral options, and I think that's where they should try to really drive down the price personally, because that mm -hmm. would have a bigger impact on healthcare is if we could drive down the price of initial therapy. These really targeted therapies that one or two percent of our patients are going to get, that's not where the healthcare costs are. But if there's ideas on how patients can afford it, that's a big deal. Melanie, you want to weigh in? Yeah. So the company is, I know we're not supposed to oh. mention. Uh, it's called. Yeah, Thera Technologies. Yeah, Thera Technologies Time, Ed. Company, yeah. Time Ed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Do you want a question? Great, thank you. So okay, that's you very say, helpful. Ask the, ask the, perfect. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. Any other questions? Okay, I've exhausted mine. Thank okay. you very well, much. Thank you. Thank you for.